If he ever caught Vale at Old Orchard. If he prefers sidekicks in MySpace to iPhones and Facebook. If the words Coma Eternal mean anything to you. If you experience no shock listening to Fall Out Boy after Misery Signals. If you consider yourself dead in the wake of an early adulthood devoted entirely to the Shorewood Legion Hall, this show is for you. You're on the guest list. The doors are open. This is Death of a Scene Kid. Let's open this pit up. But if you if you want to just start, then Kyle, are you ready? Yeah. Are you good? Yeah. Are you settled? Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Um, so then, yeah, just Tom, introduce yourself. I mean, tell us first of all, what is your name? Because I feel like I just called you Tom Hours Waiting my entire life, Dude, and I was I like, laughed, this guy I has a last Tom name. Waiting. Tom's waiting <laughs> with Tom's waiting. Yeah, it did. Your like, last Tom. name is not waiting. But I was like, no. I was like, Tom's Tom. waiting. He's waiting right now, but That'd maybe. Be awesome. You know how people have names that are like associated with profession? Like maybe you were a waiter, you know, Tom waiting. Right. That makes sense. Well, whenever, yeah. like, whenever I referred to you, Clay, it was always, it was always like Clay sleep or like you always, <laughs> I think it was like, if you didn't know someone's name, you instantly took like the part of their band name oh. and that was their last name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was in, so I was in another band later and like the longest time all my social medias were uh, me mechanical Tom. Mechanical, yes, that's right. You oh, were man. mechanical kids. I totally forgot about that, <laughs> dude. That and that's come. That's super significant. What, I, like, we're obviously going to get into that, but like, yeah, like I always think about with hours waiting. Yeah. Um. But just yeah, tell tell us your real name. Let's <laughs> Tom Carrillo. Okay. Tom Carrillo. That's it. Carrillo. I knew it. Because I saw it on Facebook, it said like Vance Slay or something. Oh, Vance like that. is his like, name. Yeah, I actually just took that off. I yeah, I don't know. I like to flip okay. around. I just something about like full names on social media, some is always is always weird. Not that it really matters, but sure. I don't know. Yeah, totally personal I, preference. And that I was deep, from, like, that was deep in my memory. Thank you for resuscitating that. I definitely knew your last name, but I just like I couldn't access it for for all these years. Love it. So thank you, That's Tom awesome. Carrillo, from With Hours Waiting, and Mechanical Kids, and something about freedom what was your first oh my name? god I might, you know that that very first band you started uh yes <laughs> uh fear for freedom it was just that band that you were just learning how to play an instrument like i said like my first show was at shorewood with that band at some 15 plus band festival that where we played at 2 p.m and <laughs> I had my little crate combo amp and thought it'd be cool to jump off of it. And it was <laughs> so lame, but. <laughs> you know, okay. there, I, was, I, I feel I like I need to make this confession now because we're here and we're all friends and I can tell you guys this and it's been 10 years after the fact. So everything's okay. My <laughs> first band was a band called basement music. And okay. we were an indie band that was trying super hard to be the new Nirvana. And I was on drums we played a single show at the Menominee Falls, uh, like teen center. Oh yeah. And, and I had my drum, like my kick drum on backwards the entire set <laughs> and didn't notice until somebody told me afterwards. So that, that's, that's wow. my first band. But it worked. Hey. Half of our songs like didn't have lyrics. Like we would like write a, write a riff and then I'd be like, here's a beat. And then we're like, cool, next song. Like yeah. <laughs> it was all like, jam music like yeah. it was really bad you gotta start somewhere anyway yeah. everyone's first band sucks we all yep. know this 
Yes, and they go through many um, transitions of members and sounds and, and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes wow. within a set, it's just like mix it all together. Yeah. So Tom, you're like what beginning of high school when this happens? Like, how did you? I think you talked about skateboarding a little bit, but just like, how do you go from? I mean, for, first of all, where where did you? Where are you from? <laughs> and then to now, I'm gonna make really loud screamy music with with friends. Yeah. Um, so I went to high school in Sussex. And, you know, grew up in, like, the Milwaukee, Menominee Falls area, for the most part, obviously Sussex, too. And and that's significant, as we all know, which I'll bring up later. Um, <laughs> Don Romano, Jack Daly. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I grew up in Germantown, so I'm not, a, not far away. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, it, it, it was just – my friend Mike and I, like, literally first day of high school, you know, clearly we had just met each other, and it was like, oh, you want to play an instrument? Good Charlotte's album just came out, and we were obsessed with it, and it was just like, I'm going to buy a guitar, you're going to get a drum kit, and we're just going to play really bad music. And somehow we met this dude. Uh, do, you, do you remember Jason Jones? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah dude. I still so, talk to you. I don't, know, I don't know if he would kill me for mentioning it, but – yeah, like he, we started that band together, you know, and he introduced us to what the scene was. And now that I'm thinking about this, it's actually coming back to my mind. Like he brought us to Shorewood and was like, we got to play a show here. He was like already on a different level with the scene. And yeah. Yeah. I do get hooked up with him in the first place. Yeah. My, I don't even remember. That was, it was, yeah, I don't even remember. Just friend of a friend kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it was one. Of, it was during like the MySpace days, you know, and like bulletins and <laughs> yep. things like that. And I, yeah, he moved on pretty quickly to doing his own thing. Like I was terrible. Like he probably didn't love being in a band with me. Mike was a pretty solid starting drummer. So for me personally, that whole process turned into just like I need to get better and improve myself and it started to turn into like the interest of the bands at Shorewood more so <laughs> than. I mean, looking back, it's now like, yeah, seeing like, like the, the service style as you were, we were talking about earlier, like aspect of it. But for me, like, I genuinely was trying to figure out how to like make a band work and just seeing all these people and being opened up to like all this music. It was, it was so actually overwhelming at the time. And like, seeing like, like, I remember going to a show, show at, at the Miramar when it was flipped the other way. And, and since my man had played and my man i remember getting like my first flyer handed to me and it was just like holy shit like it was, it was just it was cool i don't know why it, it, it was nothing special but at the time i was like wow these are bands like this is happening i know where to go that and people would communicate with a piece of paper you know like as opposed to just or real digital right you know? right and for, like when that happened i was like oh i can't wait for my band name to be on a flyer and then you know it just yeah. kind of like kept growing and then right. yeah. new project started and yeah it really just turned into just like full-blown like expressing yourself and at the time i didn't really think it was even a career a career choice i should say <laughs> yeah um i think so many people will, will resonate with that because Looking back, I feel like I was somewhat conscious of this back then, but more so I realized how significant it is. But 
the scene really was a bunch of bands playing for other bands. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, we yeah. were all basically communicating to each other, like taking turns on the stage, communicating to each other. And yeah, it was like, you know, and not in any number of categories, musically, the, uh, the lyrics, what, whatever the expression was. Um, but yeah, like, so you come in already kind of like, I was on stage and this is cool and I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I just want to get better at this. And then you find a community where you're like, now I can like learn from people and like right. communicate to people, they can communicate to me. And then that can actually lead somewhere. And yeah. you don't know where it's going. You're just thinking at that point, I don't know, this is cool. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, totally. There were just, and Charlotte carried on for a long time. Like, it's not like it was like a quick thing. Like yeah. when that started, it like, I'm pretty sure that was around all of my high school. I think mm -hmm. I can't even remember when it started to go away now. Um, but lots of lots of memories. I remember one show. It was Eyes to the Sky, and it was I think it might have been like a Halloween festival of some sort going on. Do you? I don't. Were you guys at this? And like the power went out. Oh yeah. And there was like someone spraying like fake blood or like. <laughs> It was wild. I wasn't there, but I've heard about it. It's, it's, it's like legendary. Yeah. <laughs> so many of those things where you're like, oh, were you there? Oh, you were there too? Like, I remember, I remember that night for some reason. There was no reason why that, like, that didn't affect me really. Well, the fake blood, I, the power outage, I think we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, holy shit, this is cool. <laughs> and then the Isaac's guy starts playing, like, all you hear is the drums and kids are still throwing down and the power is just out. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, amazing. I think it went past curfew and the owner shut the power off. Because I remember that happening a lot. <laughs> yes. I remember a lot of bands getting shut down for oh, yeah. various reasons. And then half of them sort of just insisting they continue <laughs> to play with just drums. <laughs> that definitely happened more than once. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a significant one. Eyes to the sky. Uh, the Halloween show. You said you were at Light the City. Did you you played that show, right? That was in your that was your first. Band. Yeah, if we I know you, we were trying to like find the show, but um, yeah, it was some long festival. <clears throat> they were headlining like way late in the night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like my first. I guess you would consider a real show because I wouldn't count like backyards and where that was even worse. <laughs> yeah. But that was like my first like playing in front of people and being intimidated as hell, even though it was looking back like 10 people at 2 p.m <laughs> like but any amount of people you're just like okay people are actually watching me if it's one person or like 10 people you're still like nervous yeah absolutely absolutely but i mean it's almost, you know, it's almost more difficult if there's not a million people already psyched up you know right, right. because you're like these people like there's nothing else like for them to focus on but here and like you've all yeah. played we've all like further along in music you know you play the show where like yeah, there's four people there. And you're just like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's, let's do this. But like when you first start out, you're like four people, you're like, that's four people. Like yeah. that's, that's four yeah. more than zero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is how many there are in practice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And for some reason, those like tend to be the shows that you play the best. You're like, oh, a hundred yeah. people saw that set. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. It was always exaggeration. Like, yeah, yeah, like tons of people were there. <laughs> or, or was actually like 20 so yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> no reference to 420 <laughs> the beauty of, of shorewood was you could just pack it out with just the 
bands on the bill, basically it would feel like a crowd. And then if anybody shows up, say there's 20 kids on top of that 50 in that little, you know, by the time you get the gear in there, it's kind of like, you know, it matters so much the like space between people. If you take a hundred people and put them in like a 10,000 person concert hall, then like, it's going to feel really awkward and weird. But if you like jam them into a small room, then everyone's having a good time. Right. right. It's not about like raw numbers. It's about just the feel of the show, you know? The, the two um, craziest shows I remember in terms of being packed was number 12 looks like you when they set it up sideways. And then uh, the Devil Wears Prada corsets or cages show. Yeah. To me, those that were like, like, holy crap. I mean, there was some other ones where it was like, heavier bands but i think those are pretty significant um at least to me and then you get into like all the other like nat what was it national skate park was a cool oh thing. yeah man i think that was a moment where we were like yes that was great Borg Ward. yeah Borgward, uh or orchard inn yep orchard, orchard inn, inn was awesome because i lived i lived like in that area so i was like holy shit this yeah. is like 10 minutes from me <laughs> or if you guys remember tanner paul back in the day that yes was, that was that was another one and then you know the globe east i i remember hearing about that one but i don't think i ever it was a super suit like i mean it was basically like a closet that people like, <laughs> you held shows in and it was just people like you could put in like 15 people in there and it would be like you would think it's just massively packed right sorry i'm heading upstairs here my internet connection got a little dicey no worries so I guess while, while Clay's at, so how did you, I guess, how did With Hours Waiting, like, come to fruition? Like, how did you guys kind of, like, how did everyone find each other to start that band? So that first band I started, I stuck with the drummer, Mike, and, you know, we, we went through various projects, and um, With Hours Waiting started from another project, we had a different vocalist who unfortunately passed away. His name was Tony, Tony Leonard. Mm -hmm. And we parted ways with him at the time. And Sean Bow was in a band called Rescue. Yeah, and I remember Rescue. We, with ours waiting, like our parents drove us to Muskego and to play a basement show at our friend Johnny's house. And Rescue played. And it just, that night, it was, it was way out in Muskego. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a filled, like basement of the bunch of kids out there and uh after that we just like these two worlds collided and again like we kind of had with hours waiting going with a different name and we brought in sean Bo, mm -hmm. and it just it was a new brand for the band itself and i think it was just the the result of finding a good group of people that mesh together and we were in high school and still not really fully knowing what we were doing. So it was, it was easy to not take it too seriously. And right. so for us, it was just, we were just having fun and yeah. Yeah. But then like, as you start playing shows and you get like feedback, you're like, okay, like we should like totally like take this more serious. And then, but I think still even like, yeah, most of, at least when I was starting out, like in a rush betrayal, like we never took it seriously for like the first like three or four years. Like we were right. just, we were just joking around half the time because like, that's kind of what it was like at the time. Like people were just like having fun. Like now today, like I've been to local shows and like kids are so serious. About oh, stuff. right. And it's just like, man, like, I don't think I was ever that serious about it. Like everyone was just there to have fun. Yeah. 
I mean, at the time too, it's looking back, you think of all those bands are so intimidating and then you see pictures of them now and stuff. And you're like, right. You're just like, man, what are those bands? I think it, yeah. Right. Like you look at like, how, like, man, how old were they? <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah, um, that's really what it was, was just high school kind of formed that band and different groups of friends. And again, the scene just being a thing, like mm-hmm. ignited that energy. And you always had rival bands and oh, yeah. people trying to one-up yes. each other. Yes. That's just what it was. <laughs> and I think um, back, back in the day when it came to like rivalries, it really wasn't like any sort of fights. It was always like, you know, who can have the best stage moves and like who's got, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like it was always kind of like that. Like that was kind of like the rivalry it was like, who has the best stage move or who has like the coolest stuff. I remember like we built these light boxes cause we saw, Yes. Oh yes. Do it. Yes. And like that was kind of the thing. Like that was our way of having a rivalry is like you didn't like talk any mess to anyone. It was like who can have like the best stage presence and who had the coolest stuff on stage. Yeah. Like, that was really it. Who can play with the most Rise Records bands? Yes, exactly. Who can get signed to Rise. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> the rumor uh, of a good third of the bands in our generation. I but think I- um actually Clay, like Sleep Therapist Sleep was a huge influence to what I was waiting. Like at the time, you guys were this band that were a step up and were like already, I think you were regionally touring and stuff. And when you worked with Joey Sturgis on those songs, we were immediately like, all right, we're working with Joey. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, I remember that's like, you know, like there were there, that's the route they're going, then that's what we got to do. Exactly. Right. But like that changed the game. And because of that, then like Joel Wanasek, who produced our album, yep. who came with us to Joey, mm-hmm. literally now runs a business with Joey. And yeah, it that's happened. Like you could you could funnel it down to like so many different scenarios. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he. Right. Uh, so he. I remember I went in one of the bands I was in. Um, he had a place out in Hubertus in his parents. Yep. That's where he recorded all of like when he was still in Dark Shift, that like thrash band. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Dark no, it's Shift. fine. Yeah. Yeah, dark shift. Um, but yeah, that and we went there and he was really cool. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I just got to get out of here and like get a bigger studio. And like, now when you see him, you're like, holy crap, man. Like yeah. that dude, like he, and when like, I think when like sleep, when you guys went to Joy Surges, like every band was like, this is like a level of professional professionalism we have never heard. And so like that yeah, kind of yeah. like. It definitely ups. took local recording quality to a new oh, level. Oh, it did. And I think that's kind of what started it is bands taking like, their sound and getting recording seriously because before i was like yeah just like throw it on a four track and then you guys came out that album and i was like well this is what we're doing now <laughs> yeah I mean, he's like you yep. it was really the like the rise recordsization of yep. of the scene and i think what, what you're talking about it's, it's really interesting to me how we're all in this kind of cycle of and i appreciate by the way that the sleep center of sleep love but it's kind of interesting to me how like our generation, a wretched betrayal with hours away, mm-hmm. sleep, sleep, sleep. What we are doing is taking like Vale of Maya and Amora Savant and like those guys are our heroes. Right. We're, we're like basically giving that in our own way to like right. the next generation of kids. And yeah. then we become their heroes and it's just like this kind of cycle. Right. And it's funny. Cause like, I remember I've talked to like some, some of my, like some of my friends or uh, you know, my cousin, he's in a band down in Illinois and he's like, hey, he's like, you ever hear this band Vela Maya? I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, like they're from Chicago. 
And he's like, you know, he's like, holy cow. And I was like, you know, they used to be like just a local band. He's like, really? Like, yeah. they just like played shows. I was like, yeah, like they used to play up Milwaukee all the time. He's like, really? Oh, yeah. So yeah. he was just like, he was just like, his mind was blown. Cause like, he thought like they were already just like a huge band and that yeah, was it. Right. But I was like, they started as like a local band and they played in Milwaukee a ton. Yeah. At a Legion Hall. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. And Orchard and all those places. Oh man. Orchard was like a whole different generation of its own after that. I feel like, yeah. like we were all slightly older. <laughs> yeah, but on like Sky Eats Airplane, like that, oh, that kind of sound was coming out. Yep. like bands were just starting to get a bit more creative with that. Yeah, that was like itself too. Even just that next pivotal moment, and I guess our scene. Did, did it kind of die? I guess maybe like, the, you know, the moments we're thinking of like Orchard might have been one of the the final go-tos, right? There's definitely some, yeah, Shorewood. Yeah. I think Miramar was kind of a holdout too for a while. Well, that was, yeah. Like, yeah. That was yeah. the sort of post Shorewood just because it was so yeah. close to it. And you could fill a lot of people and, you know, yeah. people had contacts to get in there, I think. And now that we had better sounding recordings and we're a little bit more professional, we could actually get a couple people to come to our shows. I mean, National Skate Park for a while was the go-to because like they were totally cool with throwing shows and still letting people skate on the other side so they could still make money and have shows. Yeah. I feel like I blinked and missed National Skate Park. Oh man, it was... I it was there. Were, I played a couple. I played shows. one show, it was and great. then next thing I knew, it was closed. <laughs> well, I yeah. think I think the 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 nail in the coffin for that. I remember they had like I forget who booked it. I think it was like Steve Roche. Maybe he booked a show there, and it was like Tyrant AD, like all these like super like tough guy hardcore bands, and like I think like it just got way out of control because yeah. like basically, and then yeah, it was just too much beat down, and like the the guy was just like. <laughs> Yeah, we're not. We're not going to do this. We're we're yeah, not. Gonna we're do done. This. Yeah, <laughs> like because like if you ever see the singer from Tyrant AD, he's got just basically three giant axes tattooed in his face, and like that guy. I'm sure that owner was just like, "Yep, we're done after this." But yeah, no. it, got, it got way out of too, control. Too scary for him. Oh yeah. So Tom, so then I feel like that gets us. That gets us to the music, and I think you're starting to get a little bit into like what it was to you. I I've trying to ask this question of a lot of people because I, I don't even fully know the answer to this <laughs> for myself. So I'm just trying to like piece, piece things together with, with everyone together. But like, why do kids in high school have to go scream at each other over loud music? Like, what is the, what is the, what is that in society? Like, what does it do for you? Is it like, is it the middle finger to the expectations of the world or is it, uh, just a venting of emotions or is there some is there a message that's trying to come through like what is what is that to you you know you would think it'd be easier to answer that question <laughs> right. um, you know I mean like being where I'm at now it's I always have to kind of check myself and remember what music is to me because it's kind of taken more of a industry turn where I feel like I don't normally view it the same but like for me back then that was just you know I I identify with my group of friends I identify with the way I dressed I identified with my emotions like to me it it made sense to me it was like joining a football team and deciding you know I wanted to play football forever (laughs) or you know what I mean like like why do kids get into anything I think it, it just 
it helped me express everything. It wasn't just one thing. And in, on top of that, it also exposed me to like things I wanted to improve on just by simply like playing better. And I think that's what it was. And, and a little bit of competitiveness too, truthfully, like we all yeah. wanted to be cool. Yep. Yeah. And I should say we all want it. Everyone wants to be cool. No one wants to not be cool. Um, you There's all like the normal <laughs> prescribed ways that kids can get aggression out and, you know, football, whatever. But you found a lane where you felt like you could actually compete where you felt like it was actually something you wanted to be doing and where you had something to offer there. And so that just kind of spoke to you. Is that a good way of summarizing it? Yes, exactly. And to me, it was just like the idea of a band was just so cool. <laughs> like, for sure. Flat out. That's what it was. The love for the bands. Bands are cool. Yeah. Um, cool. So then... Yeah, just moving forward then from that. Um, I guess before we go on, what kind of brought an end with hours waiting? Because I think we all, everyone always, you know, they know when the band starts, but everyone always wonders, like, what happened that you guys kind of just didn't play anymore, you know? And, yeah. and you know, that, that's kind of one thing that, you know, everyone kind of always asks, you know, why'd they break up or just what happened? Yeah. Um, mechanical kids, I'd say. Mm -hmm. was, was probably the biggest reason Sean started writing pop music and truthfully just was growing as a writer like himself and the band like we had just started to take we, we were at the point where we were taking it serious mm -hmm. and you know like we were actually out on the road and trying to tour as much as possible and Mechanical Kids just felt like this next step of like it's interesting because i think we were slightly growing up at that point not that we were like grown-ups by any means right. but i think we were just like you weren't high school kids anymore right like we had we had done the thing with joel or with joey and joel and like that was a pretty heavy record for like what i expected and it kind of like it being in that production and we through that whole process, we met a lot of other people. Like there was this band called Let's Get It from Ohio and just like they were super pop and it just, it just turned into like that kind of thing. And then Forever the Sickest Kids came out and I think we just kind of shifted into that different genre. And then, you know, part of the band, you know, half the band with Our Was Waiting split and the other half did the Mechanical Kids thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that was also a merge of some of the rescue dudes. Mm -hmm. because, again, like, you know, at the time we had kind of taken Sean, you could say, like, yeah. there was, there was, that was its own whole story or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, then it kind of just came back. And I think um, it was kind of a bigger group of, of people. So it really did, I think it just died because of another project. And I mean, there are definitely days where I think about how much further that, like with hours waiting could have gone. Yeah. Um, had we kept going because I, I, I look back and I'm just like, damn, like I see some of the shows we played and like, we actually weren't bad. Like that was, you know, those, those few videos are like, wow, that, that didn't suck. It's not like right. watching the videos from my first Shortwood show. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Why did the first shows that I have to survive? You know, what's up? Right? With that? Exactly. And yeah, I think, I think we just thought it was like a step into a whole new thing. And little did we know that, um, what we were going to get ourselves into. I don't know if you want me to dive into that, but, uh, yeah, dive wherever you want. Yeah. Um, 
Mechanical Kids started, we started to write some songs. And I'd say within about eight to 10 shows, we signed a major label deal with Universal Motown. And I remember that. I do yeah. remember that. Too. It was like a lot of people thought we made it up, but I mean, no, it, I, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, we, so we, we entered AP Hometown Heroes. I remember, do you, remember, do you know a guy named Lars? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no show? Yep. Yeah. So Lars. Just Lars. At years back, like him and I got along. I don't like I. I have nothing bad to say about him. I don't know much about him either. But Lars was just kind of very like supportive of the band, and he like kept, he would call me every day, like, "Dude, you guys need to enter this this contest." And I kind of blew it off. But one day I was like, "Fine, I'll do it." And we got top ten, and I think, I think maybe like number eight or something. And so, so then an A and R flew up to the Miramar. We sold out the room, and two weeks later they were offering us a record deal and that's from that point I was like it was like figuring out what the music industry is and then yeah that accelerated very quickly because we had no we we just had no idea what we were doing we were not prepared to sign a major label deal and it took us like a year and a half to two years to even write enough songs for them to want to start releasing things mm-hmm. and by the time that happened um the, the president of Motown went to a different label and Republic essentially bought out Motown and they dropped us. Yeah. I was like, I, I remember there was something where like, basically there was, oh, he's I didn't like, know yeah, that's how that went down. I, re- I remember reading about it where it was like, yeah, Motown records, like you guys just gotten signed. And it was like Motown records, like goes under and gets sold to like someone else. Yeah. And we, we made it like on the short list to get transitioned. And then we just, there were other priority bands. And that was like, for me, my, my moment of like, because I had always been the business dude in all my bands. I was the one sitting on MySpace during what yep. I was waiting, like trying to get plays on that freaking player. And yep. Add everybody. <laughs> yes. yes. It, message bots, everything, you name yeah. it, we were doing it. Um, so I just, I started to do our, start our manager at the time left after the whole label situation. And I just started to like book our own touring. And from there I decided to go to school for music business and the rest just kind of, starts to form itself but i'd say mechanical kids by the end of it there were just internal issues with the band mm-hmm. and we had been through the grind of the major label system and then going and doing it on our own and it's just it's a dawning world <laughs> yeah it is and it like if you take a look now like, momentum matters yeah and then there's a lot of bands you know there wasn't like the kickstarter gofundme where a lot of bands it's how they've kind of fun stuff some days we got like, we got screwed over because MySpace was going under and Facebook was just starting. So there, for years, I'm sure you guys remember, there was no like, where do you promote your band? Yeah, I remember that. It was kind of, well, there was, there was Pure Volume and there was Reverb Nation, which was yeah. like the two, they, and they were okay, but it was all it was is just a profile where you could put your music. Like there was no yeah, interaction. Pure Volume was outdated by that point. Right. And then, the days, right. And then, you know, there's Reverb Nation and then, that was kind of the only place that you could get your music heard because, you know, no one was uploading their music to YouTube or, you know, streaming services just didn't exist. And you were using like third party apps on Facebook to like host your music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Natively to like figure out how to do that. Yep. Um, But I did, I did think of a memory and we'll have to edit this back when you're talking with ours waiting, because I remember you and me, on AOL Instant Messenger, 
Oh, oh, oh. Is that where we talked? Talking about that record. Because you were like, dude, we just got done. I meant like you were done. You were so amped. You were like, you need to hear this. There's this part in the song where Sean says, death is but a broken law. And it's so cool. Like, <laughs> you were like so amped. I just, for some reason, I remember that AIM conversation. That, we that had. is awesome. But yeah. AIM. Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah that's... Whew. That that's that's dating yourself then, <laughs> right? For real, but yeah, this this all went back though. Like, yeah, um, but yeah, I guess that's my rant on on mechanical kids. <laughs> I still have I still have that EP. Really? Yeah, I bought it off of iTunes like when it first came out, and I still have it in my iTunes library, and nice. I still have it on my iPod. <laughs> Sean's a fantastic writer. It's something I'll never I'll never let down. Sean definitely. Is, is you know i mean he's he's a professional songwriter i don't know if you guys know what he's up to now but like i know isn't he in japan he lives in tokyo <laughs> yeah like he lives in tokyo he's just like producing stuff or something yeah he's he was writing with howard in touch with him LA for a while what's that do you keep in touch with him at all yeah um one of my artists because I, I i work in management now and i also work at a label okay um went out to la and wrote a whole record with sean and there's just been various things I've always kind of been in connection with Sean with because of the industry itself. Um, but yeah, no, like him and I talked like a month ago, he actually, we were, we were over FaceTime and he was showing me his Tokyo apartment and it's so tiny, but he was, he's been working with some really big artists. Like Miyabi yeah. is this really cool. The kind of, kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a Lincoln Park with like guitar shredding, mm -hmm. <laughs> like American top lines. Okay. Crazy okay. stuff. That's pretty, that's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. <laughs> it's, it's definitely led him into a lot of other things. And like in Japan, that band is huge. Like they, they play stadiums and around the world. <laughs> so, but no, yeah, Sean is definitely, I think mechanical kids and all of those things, like we've all moved on and where we are in life. I think kind of makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. because of all of it. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, if we want to get into what, where you are now more about, yeah, what you're doing uh, with the label and then it's, it sounds like it's kind of cool because you have that ability. You do have your hands in music. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, are like our corporate trader or <laughs> like any I, number of random professions. Yeah. I was stubborn. <laughs> I was stubborn. Sorry. I don't know why. And I still am like, it's just, I naturally just got into it. And it's one of the few things that I can wake up and just think about and do. And I've, look, the scene had it not been for any of that. I, I wouldn't, I, I just wouldn't be here flat out. I wouldn't have learned any of that. And I, I still learn today, but a lot of it just was taught very early on. Like how to even like coordinate an entire show. Because at some point we've all three, all three of us, four yeah. of us, our in this room, um, I booked a show. I, and yeah. I remember booking my first show and was like, what do, how do I do this? Like, <laughs> but you just did it. And you, and people came up to you and were like, Hey, where do we load in? And you were like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was like, maybe, because uh, I remember the first show I booked was at the Borg Ward, and it was like um, I was in a band called Ellis, and then it was uh, us, City of Ghosts, and High Hopes, and High Hopes right. was the singer Nick from After the Burials band, and I was like, that was the first show I ever booked, and I'm like, uh, man, I don't know what to do, like, 
okay, I'm just going to go for this. Right. But hey, we all learned, right? That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I, after I left Mechanical Kids, I started interning for a management company out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. One of their first bands was Disturbed. So they were like, they were in the, the active rock. Yeah. But that management company was in the active rock slash Chicago cover band scene. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, which is, there's some bands making ridiculous amounts of money doing that. Um, what's, what's the company called, do you mind saying? It's called KMA, which they're still a company. They're, uh, I was interning for this guy named Brett, and there's another dude named Roger. And Roger's still running the company, but after interning there, Brett moved to L.A. I brought in a band called Vinyl Theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. They got signed, too, to, like, a bigger... A yeah, bigger. we got them signed to Field by Ramen. And it was one of those situations where they got signed really fast, um, like, shortly after we started working with them. So that that band, like, took <clears throat> off my management career to kind of, like, help Brett and I sustain mm-hmm. starting a successful management company. And Wow. Um, I then moved to Nashville. together. So yeah, yeah. Essentially, like, he had clients. I was interning for Moretti, but I was just like ready to prove myself. And it was like, all right, well, you brought in this band. Let's let's rebrand to rebrand to this. And that's amazing. It's, yeah, it's it's been great. And then I moved to Nashville for just about two years, and I also had a daughter like right before that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I was doing the full blown management thing just in Nashville while going through a midlife crisis of breaking up with, the, you know, the mother of my child and mm-hmm. her moving back to Wisconsin and me figuring out, am I sticking with this career or am I going to yeah. continue this or how am I going to make this work? And like, yeah. after another close to half year or so of like being back and forth just to be around my daughter, I had to make the decision to come back, mm-hmm. back home. Um, fortunately when I came back, I was already discussing with my friend, Steve, who was also a mechanical kids and he's doing more of like the EDM pop writing stuff now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Steve Pitzel from Saved by Stereo. Yes. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was, he was working for this media person who runs this bigger company and they just wanted to start a music company and eventually it turned into a record label. And now I do product management at a record label and I've been doing it for like two years now. Product <laughs> management. So what is that? I mean, I it's, should probably know this, but I don't. You, you, yeah. It's like, I kind of, uh, it's a mixture of like an A&R slash overlooking a projects, like making sure the release schedule set the budgeting and, you know, making sure that the, the functions of the label are handling that product or project itself so you know we have an awesome team that we just i get to help artists release music and it seems like each year you know as a record label too we're we're discovering and finding and finding success for the artists that we started with and Mm -hmm. finding bigger artists and building the label so it has a lot to do again with like jumping right back into the scene and figuring out what's going on now and i mean i still feel just as in touch with the music side of things, especially in like Milwaukee in the Midwest, as I did before, but it's mm-hmm. just so diff. It's such a different, yeah, ass level for me. What's uh? I mean, what is the what 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 does the difference consist in? Like, what has changed then for how you relate to music now as a professional, um, and not so much as a performer, but just as someone in the industry. 
What's the difference? Um, straight up the amount of thought put into it. Like I used to not really care about like what a song was about. Mm -hmm. And then when we would release it, just, you know, just like little thoughts like that or realizing that a four minute long song is too long. <laughs> like when back in the day we were writing 10 minute long songs or just like the creative aspect. I feel like there's, there's times where I have to like make sure I can stay in my creative head because mm -hmm. I, I, otherwise I'll lose it. It's so, you know, like you were talking about the, like, the love and what this is to you like to me thinking about that and explaining it to you i to remind myself like it literally was just everything so now it's kind of taking that approach and like okay well who's going to feel that same way about this or how can we get this music in front of the right people to feel the same way i mean each artist is different each song is different too so mm -hmm. it's it's definitely a bit more thought and i'm trying to at the same time be aware <laughs> tom do you do much actual writing of the music still or are you just more in the kind of um managing artists and that kind of thing uh completely business it's i, I don't i don't want to be like involved on the creative side of my artists <clears throat> at all i i generally generally just try to support them and help them be more strategic on it i mean i definitely give my opinion on like mixes and things like that but yeah. i i try just because I've seen other industry people get so involved in that aspect yeah. of it that, yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah. Um, I guess any other thoughts, anything? I, one, I did think of one thing I actually wanted to ask you, which is what do your parents think of all of this? They're like, our son is going into devil music or like, are they like, <laughs> whatever makes you happy? Like, uh, well, my dad is, definitely never never loves the idea still to this day still doesn't understand it but hmm. i mean i've he, he can't tell me what to do at the end of the day i mean he, right. he'll tell me how he feels but he's been over time a bit more accepting especially when he sees my dedication to it but like my mom has always always been there for me too with it i mean i can't i'm not that my dad hasn't but my mom for sure just driving me to band practice yeah multiple times a week and stuff like i yeah definitely like a both worlds on that where right yeah a little bit of resistance but a little bit of and i think yeah is, is his whole thing like this isn't a real career or is he oh yeah or like the benefits side of it and just like i mean he's a he's a cop marine okay um almost retired it uh, in both but he's definitely got the like you get a check and it's it, things are very secure for you whereas for me like there's a month i can make thousands of dollars and the next month i'm gonna make my base salary <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna i don't know it's at the end of the day like it still makes sense to me okay and you just i mean what do you think this is like yeah i you i've arrived where you where you want to be do you want to keep doing these things that you you're doing now or it do you, is oh this yeah, I, to get somewhere else. I foresee this just leading me to like whatever makes sense next. I, mm -hmm. I I definitely never ever feel like I've made it. I think every day I'm harder on myself. If anything, yeah. especially with like the rate that this industry mm -hmm. moves, and as you start to work with bigger and bigger artists, it's you start to lose that because 
like it, it becomes like radio and you're competing against way bigger acts that are doing this professionally too. So the celebration of getting a million streams in a song or something is not the same. Yeah. Yeah. The, the original high is kind of watered down a little bit. Right. It, Cause it's like, okay, well, how do we, how do we sustain that? How do we keep it going? And again, everything from the scene definitely has helped carry me here in, in one way or another, that's for sure. And has brought back. And to this day, there's people from back then that I probably run into now and like a connection gets remade or, yeah something else but one thing i wanted to bring up krill fest dude krill fest yes <laughs> i don't i don't know if kyle i i can't say i've ever that's this is news to me when when you when you understand what it is you'll know why oh, you have yeah. the krill fest this can be edited in with hours wedding if you want okay totally i don't care but I think you guys were burning these pages. I don't even remember how we got connected with you guys. The first time we played Sussex Bowl, we were burning these pages. And the second time, I think we I think yeah. we had our first shirt, our first SSS shirt at that point. That's insane. I remember like at the time we were like, oh man, this sleep service, or this burn these pages, man, sleep service sleep like they're huge. <laughs> we were, we were so like, yes, we convinced a bunch of suburban kids that were popular. But that was it. Fake it till you make it, right? Like if you right. make somebody think you're a big deal, then suddenly you're a big deal. Totally. I, I remember Krillfest was like one of my math teachers, Mr. Krill. <laughs> just every year he booked like a random tiny little festival show with his with his like Weezer cover band or something. At yeah, the bowling alley. And like one year, like when our band play, he was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And we just fucking blew it out of the water you guys were on it we were on it we were just like firing the hell out of yeah. that show and all was like that that whole room was filled and that like built its own little time era out of that That's yeah that's like bowl it was it was this little glimmer of could this actually be a sweet venue where people come to see shows? now that i'm thinking about it it's crazy to think of how deep in the suburbs that was yeah oh I yeah never thought like, i remember you had to go out of that bridge and turn yeah, I can like even envision driving there. Good hope forever. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just like, I'm having that epiphany right now. I didn't realize the significance of like, that's why so many people out there were into it because shows were in all the way in Shorewood or yeah. downtown Milwaukee. And it was a lot of just white suburban kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Krill Fest, man, that, those, were some, those were some memories. Like, it was essentially a bowling alley with a big center and a lot of kids. And I for just, some reason, it was, it was successful for the most part. Yeah, for, I haven't, yeah, I don't know why. Like, you, you, maybe just because everyone at the high school was super invested because all their friends were going. Uh, maybe, you could, maybe you would know more about that than me. But, yeah, everybody turned out for that. And it was... Everybody thought that every band was amazing, no matter how, how mediocre we actually were. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I got I, some cool MySpace photos from those days. The second one, there's a video somewhere, I hope it's still on YouTube, of we did the, the Wall of Death. Do you remember oh, that? Yes, I remember that. I still remember <laughs> the video plays like this side's the Romans. Yes, <laughs> like, it was the 300 yes. thing. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> That that show was nuts. Was it was that Baby Seals oh, song. Yes, that, I think it was Baby. It probably would have been Baby Seals. I was like, is that too early for Dead Man Walking? I think it actually was. Or 
Oh, Dead Man Walking. That was a good one. Was it still when Mike was playing guitar for you guys? That would have been right during the changeover. Yeah. I think, it, I think one of those shows, Derek was on vocals. Derek from Gabriel Hunter. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Hunter, another great band. Yeah, right. That's... Yeah, they, they were awesome. I just um, posted uh, Lady, I'm a Peaceful Man's album, and people yes. were freaking out over Yep, I still so still have that in iTunes. Still have that in my iTunes library. I oh, still yeah. remember when they played Dave Tarantino's wedding, and that was <laughs> wild. Oh my god, wild! Like, they were all in like suits and stuff, and then just basically like a converge style, converge and Dillinger escape plan type band that just yeah. down at Dave's wedding, and his whole family was like. Lady of a Peaceful Man, that's kind of a cool name. And then you, it just, you hear the China. And then they're like, what is the, happening? <laughs> you hear the China symbol and it just yeah. goes off. Oh, man. Good times. That's so great. Good times. That's what it was all about right there is just shocking, you know, suburban sensibilities. Like, you love just like pulling up next to somebody at the stoplight, windows down with the massive breakdown. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's <the> <laughs> Oh man. Um, um, so then one other question I was going to ask if I can remember it. Um, do you miss being on stage? Um, do you, do you, do you feel like you have your place now? You're like, you're kind of like, you know what? I don't need that pressure. I can just help the artists. Or are you like, no, man, I wish I was up there. Lately there's moments where I, where I actually do miss it. Surprisingly for a while I, I didn't, but lately I've been like definitely thinking about those moments, but then, at, you know, then you just, the next day you're just, you're at it again and it kind of loses it. So the way I, the way I just kind of channel my creativity now is just setting aside time to write my own music or um, doing something where I can just take my brain. Cause at the same time, like as much as I want to be playing shows and stuff, like I literally deal with music when I wake up and go to sleep. So it's actually like, sometimes I actually need an escape from music. There's days where I drive, you know, when I was going to the office, I drive home in silence. Yep. Just was listening to music all day. Oh, I, yeah. um, or, you know, I personally, like I personally enjoy coding. So sometimes just like right. doing that in silence is nice and working on a website and not Which you got your start on MySpace, right? Yeah. Dude. I, yes, actually I would not know coding of any HTML sort for uh, high school kids. He's graduated to cascading style sheets. <laughs> do you remember, yeah. Do you remember the pinnacle, like getting the header on MySpace? Yes. You were the, you were, a cool band if you could figure out how to <laughs> if do you that. could and then then when it came time where like you had to play like half off the right. screen yes. exactly <laughs> or then when you had the header and then you had like the customized background of your entire yes. page and it oh, took like yeah. five yeah. minutes for people to load your page yes cool. but you're just like it's gonna pay off when people see it yeah it's yeah. <laughs> the total opposite these days <laughs> someone told me hey i want to have this website with a giant header and it's gonna have animation and you're gonna scroll down to this tiny player like, yep. What? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Or like, I know some people they still have GeoCity sites. How I don't know, but like, GeoCities. <laughs> that's or Angel Fire. Oh wow. That's but. Um, Kyle, did you have anything else you wanted to ask Tom? No, I was going to ask about the whole like you know you ever thought about being in a band again, but we've got our answer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Anyone else from the scene that you're like? 
just want to give a shout out or you're like, hey, why don't we hang out anymore? Let's, yeah, anything like that? Hmm. I'm trying to think. It's, it's funny because I don't know. I feel like I hang out with a lot of the people still to this day or have some sort of like ongoing communication with. I mean, like, honestly, maybe someone like Jason Jones, you know, very early in the day, like he, he definitely, and probably doesn't even realize like, just like his interest surely spiked mine into the scene. Like if it now, like yeah. I didn't even have that thought prior to going into this, but thinking about it, like, yeah, that was definitely like, Oh, he was definitely the reason why I started to get introduced to a lot of he, in, stuff. in that Facebook group. Like everyone's like, if you take a look at every picture, everyone's like Jason Jones has been to every show ever because <laughs> every picture that they post of like a crowd shot, Jason Jones is somewhere in there. Yeah. He's always in the running for most extreme mosher as well. Exactly. <laughs> even even when, he, even when he had his back brace and he was just stomping people. That's right. <laughs> I just, forgot just just wrecking people with his back brace like man this guy just doesn't he's like yeah he's like it's not cool now because my back really hurts but you know <laughs> yeah he had like a really serious like he fell on his back was yeah like during a show i can't remember what it was but like yeah he, he Let's like i'm here and ask him he broke yeah. his back like i still talk to him a lot um because he he used to live he used to live not too far from me in the falls um okay. and then he moved to west bend okay. see after uh the band that we were in together i think i lost touch with him real quick but i continued on like mm -hmm. my interest in the scene and i think i saw less of him but yeah he'd be someone that would be awesome to reconnect with just because he made a way bigger impact in my life than i ever thought and he was always the dude who told me how, he was very open about how bad i was at my instrument to me <laughs> which back in the day i hated but i, I look back now and i'm like yeah well and he was kind of like you know I still remember Jason because, like, as soon as he when he joined Oceano, like everyone was like, "Damn!" Yeah, right. Like someone, someone. Man, I forgot he was in that band. Yeah, and yeah, he was, and he's. Everyone was just like, "So you, you can make it." And like, I yeah. used to like, I used to message him. I was like, "Cause for some, he he's got a rap name called uh, Swervinci, and he spells Swerve with a, a dollar <laughs> sign." <laughs> and so, so I, yeah, like, dude, this is amazing. Trust me, message him and just. So just just literally just say what's up, Swervinci, and you got to put the dollar sign. But like that's his thing, and so like I would like face message. I was like I was like his big swerve taking over like Europe now because they would be like in Europe or something. But yeah, that's like ask him about it. <laughs> Damn, I, I didn't know anything about that. That's crazy. Oh yeah, I like I said I used to run into because I used to live out in the German town. I would see him all the time in the falls, and oh, like. Man. He'd be at like Walmart and I'm like, Hey man, what are you doing? He's like, ah, you know, me and the wife getting like paint samples, you know, we're gonna, <laughs> and like, of course, like you see him at Walmart and he's got like full tattoos and stuff and like, everyone's, like looking at him and like, <laughs> he <looks> terrified. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Or I remember he and I used to go to the whack in Germantown and he like came to live with me once and everyone like was wondering where he stumbled in from. Cause like, <laughs> I was like, who's this guy? Does they he were have... just like, he had like this... upside down crosses. At oh yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah, he's got like his hands tattooed and everything, and like he kind of walked in because I, I brought him in with me. They're like, "Oh, they're like that's kind of nice, like you know, getting a homeless guy off the street." He's like, "Hey, man, like I live like oh, three oh, blocks down." <laughs> <laughs> so just to recap for everyone, things would be going well for Tom with the whole music industry. So 
Right now, we're looking for more guests to be on here, so if you know anyone that wants to be on the podcast or you yourself want to be on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at deathofascenekid at gmail.com.